0: I wore busy like a badge of bloody honour, and it was not the right thing for me to do. But that came from trauma. That came from how do I fill the void in my life that can silence that voice? I'll just be as busy as I can, then I don't have to deal with that emotional intelligence that I need to be able to forge the best life. So, really take care of you, and the the best version of you will come.
1: Hey, welcome to the Lady Brains podcast. Share the Dignity is a charity driven by a very clear purpose, to end period poverty. But how did it go from a simple idea to a national movement that influences federal policy? This is what we're talking about with founder Rochelle Courtney, who over the last six years has managed to donate 2.8 million boxes of pads and tampons and $51 million to women in need. In a really short space of time, she's grown her volunteer team to over 5,000 sheroes. She's established partnerships with brands like Woolworths, Bunnings and Facebook and has successfully campaigned to end the tampon tax. Rochelle's passionate, she's driven and she's not slowing down anytime soon. If you're looking for a dose of inspo or a pick me up, you're absolutely in the right place. Okay, so where we want to start, we would love to hear in your own words, what is Share the Dignity and what does it stand for? Share the Dignity is a national
0: charity that I started in 2015 because I read an article that talked about how many women were experiencing homelessness. Um, And at that stage, there were 48,000 women who didn't have somewhere safe to call home. And I had always thought, oh God, what do you do if you don't have somewhere safe to sleep? Or how do you get food? Or how do you feel safe? But I'd never thought about what they did if they got their period, like everybody else. Mm. And periods don't stop if you're homeless. And so they were using to read that they were using socks and newspaper and wadded up toilet paper just blew my mind. And to be honest, it wasn't after I'd had a look at it, it wasn't actually the first article to ever be written or read probably. And I just thought, how do you not do something about that? So, I started Share the Dignity. I I used to have my own personal training business. So, I used to make in the month of February and March in 2015, made them bring me a packet of pads or tampons for every wine they had that month. So I collected four hundred and fifty packets of pads and tampons. Um, but I also had a collection box at our local counselor's office and at a local school. So it was amazing. On the first of March I'd set up the Facebook page, Share the Dignity and Well, I didn't, but my daughter did, (laughs) who had much more skills in that area than I than I did. And surrounded ourselves with those four hundred and fifty packets of pads and tampons and had a photo taken and then shared to the people what where they were going. And they went off to five different local charities in Sandgate. But it's not like we were giving a woman a warm jacket and it kept mm. her warm for years. It was a monthly problem. And so it was only a couple of months later that a friend who worked in the domestic violence services contacted me and said, can we grab some more pads and tampons? And I went, Yeah, I'll just do another call out. And at that stage, it went viral. M. Rusciano got hold of it and was like, oh my God, how did I not even think about this? And then women and I very then did I think that there isn't a woman in Australia who wouldn't be empathetic to mm. another woman having mm. to go without the basic necessities. So that was always my target market, every woman in Australia. So we then, to be honest, it was an absolute whirlwind. I was training clients from, I would get up at five o'clock and my first client was at 5.30 and I trained every half an hour, women until one o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would have to come home and answer about 200 messages that of people wanting to help. How do I donate? How do I help? And so for me, it was just like, give me your phone number, I'll ring you. Where are you? And they helped. And really, it just went from there. Never did I know, though, that I needed to have a board of directors, a constitution, fees and permits in every state and be registered with the ACNC. I had no idea about any of that. So surrounding myself with amazing women, Um, my husband played such a huge role in connecting the dots with legals and accounting and all of that sort of stuff. It certainly wasn't something I did on my own. So yeah, so we had DLA Piper who came on board and gave us $30,000 worth of legal advice free, put together our constitution and registered the charity.
2: At what point did it turn from kind of this community initiative where people in your own networks were kind of contributing and wanting to help? At what point did it turn from that into something that was more tangible and real and that you thought, okay, this is actually a movement and an
0: organisation that I want to build out? Yeah, there probably wasn't a lot of time for thinking
2: or planning,
0: (laughs) to be honest. It really was. And there were a couple of moments early on where it was like, oh, this is huge. Mm. This is really huge. It's become massive. Mm. So it was never about how do I figure that out? It was just about I can't not do it because it didn't just, it went from a collection in my local town to all over Australia in a month. So, it was not really, it was figuring shit out all the way along, literally. And I, to be honest, we still do that. We just don't do it as much as we used to. Mm. So, but it was surrounding myself with amazing women, and women wanted to help, and people wanted to help. So, by the time we'd done that call out in May, by August, It was a registered charity and it had appeared on the project. So we had to bring, we had Fernwood on board. We had Terry White Chemist on board. And these were because, I mean, I would used to work at Fernwood, so we already had Mm -hmm. a connection there. And my goal to that was speak to all of the businesses that were already speaking to the women. Because remember, Mm. there isn't a woman in Australia
1: who wouldn't give a packet of pads or tampons to a woman or a sister in need. You said that it went viral because obviously this is a cause that people want to get behind. Did you have to kind of carve out, because you're going after every woman in Australia, did you have to think, okay, how am I going to create offers to target each kind of segment?
0: Look, I always knew that the woman who was going to donate was probably that 30 to 60 year old, right? So it was talking to those women. We've worked with Forever New, with Country Road, with debt. like we worked with really great brands that were already talking to that market. Remembering that the customer that we help is not the same customer that donates, but without the customer who donates, we can't do anything. So I would say that the charity has had different growth spurts where we've had to get volunteers that we call sheroes and heroes. So we now have 5,700 of those incredible people Mm. around Australia that make a difference, whether that's in Brighton, Victoria or Bundaberg in Queensland. Without them, the charity cannot actually even exist because they can't go into any Woolworths or Terry White Chemist or any of the chemists and pick them up and get them to their local charities. So they fundamentally are the rock that holds the whole charity together.
2: And so with those 5,700 people, What's their role?
0: Yeah, so the role of a volunteer <coughs> is to go into a collection point, so whether that's, use Woolworths as an example, to go into Woolworths at the beginning of any collection drive, make sure the box is set up, it's visible, and introducing themselves. Then throughout the month, they pick them up, they sort them into pads and tampons incontinence products and all of the different things. And then we work with around 3,000 charities around Australia. They will know from our app that they are to drop off 100 to, the Salvos in Bundaberg or there to drop 50 off to a secret location, which is normally always a DV shelter. Um, So that's their role, just to build that relationship in their neck of the woods, but also to be our biggest advocates and Mm. change makers. So Mm. they are Mm. our influencers and that's an awful amount of influencers Mm, to have. Yeah. But they are the pride and joy of Share the Dignity. Mm.
2: It's interesting. We talk a lot with our community, especially women who are looking to start brands about kind of channels to market like how do you market a brand how do you get the word out and I think you know you it sounds like when after this sort of brand partnership brand collaboration whether it was a strategy or whether it was just organic to kind of get the word out you know you've got some insane brands on board with share the dignity can you talk us through the process of actually pitching to those brands drafting the partnerships like
0: how did you do that and 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 why I absolutely had a vision board. Yeah. On that vision board had brands cut out on it. It had mm. people cut out on it. It had ending the tampon tax. Everything mm. on that brand has come to fruition except for Lorna Jane. Oh,
1: wow. So calling
0: it out. Yeah, in the internet. Yeah, calling it out. So, But we have had Lorna Jane stores come on board and have collection points. So to me that my vision board is like huh, I've got one eye on it and the other. But what I wanted was... The whole brand on board because who in Australia talks to women like Lorna Jane? Do you know what I mean? So I, I really wanted those women who were following that brand and being—I wanted her to be part of that solution.
1: What's the next part of that? So if Lorna Jane was to come on and you say you want them to talk to their women, run me through what that looks like, and you could probably use an existing brand. Yes. Yeah, so with.
0: Um, yeah. So that it really is sometimes a brand's voice is more powerful than their donated dollar. Mm. So if Lorna Jane has one million women that follow her and one million women have another friend and they're talking about donating products in March and in August and putting together a It's in the Bag at Christmas time, that then opens us up to ensure that we don't ever have to say no to a charity, that no woman ever has to go without the very basic of essentials.
2: And what's the pitch? Like, what's the pitch to brands? Are you really sort of pitching the purpose and the, the impact?
0: The pro- the problem is yeah. the pitch. Yeah, okay. And most of the people that I've met have come through an to be honest, we I was an awards junkie, but it was never the awards to actually get something for me because the charity is not about me. It is about the shirows in the mm. towns. It is about the woman that deserves to have access to sanitary items. But those awards opened up doors to standing next to Lorna Jane, standing next to Janine Alice, standing next mm. to the women that lead our country in great businesses.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a competitive landscape in terms of where to put my dollars, my time, you know, when I'm looking to align with a charity, how do you stand out to not only the brands, but to also individuals that are looking to, you know, donate?
0: Yeah. And that's probably a two-pronged question where we stand out from a charity where you can volunteer because we only collect three times a year. So it's not Mm -hmm. like you're having to sign up to do something every single day of the week or every week of the year. So we're very focused on three collection drives in a year. And that was very apparent to me at the very beginning. We could have kept out collection boxes all year round, but I think it would have been like the little guide dog that you see, but you only see it when your kids go running to it, right? Mm. So it's just that mindset of, and we would have had burnout from volunteers and you would have just, it would have got a little bit lost. So we do only do those collections three times a year. So we ramp people up and draw them in and give them space to then go back about their lives. So it kind of is an easier charity to be part of in that perspective. But then there is also, we are the only charity in this space that does what we do. So it's not like the other charities where there's multiples of every charity and they, you know, can choose to do that. So when it comes to donating, you will literally buy a packet of pads or tampons and know that that packet of pad or tampons is going to a woman in need. Every charity, no matter who they are, needs money to run. It costs you to, mm-hmm. to register a charity. It costs to run a charity. It costs us $67,000 just last year to logistically move product wow. from areas in Australia to remote Indigenous communities. So there are so many extra charges that people have no idea about. Even to even run the It's in the Bag campaign comes at a cost of about sixty. or it's around that to be able to have the boxes that transport the products all over the country as well. So where does the money come from? Donated dollars. So from people who go, you know what, I will donate $5 or I'll donate $20 or I'll donate. We do with that what we need to. So whether we need to put together 1,500 bags, which is what we've just done in our office, because last year covid Severely affected the charity. So Mm, normally it's in the bag is our campaign where we ask everyday Australians to donate a pre-loved handbag or a new one, fill it with life's necessities, like shampoo, conditioner, toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant, soap, sanitary items, and we get them out to women who have fled domestic violence, experiencing homelessness, our drought-stricken farming communities, those that are living way below the poverty line Mm -hmm. and really are not getting a Christmas gift, let alone having access to the basic of essentials. We would normally collect at least, on average, around one hundred and thirty-five thousand over the last four years. The first year we did it, we collected twenty-four thousand, but it really was just a brain child of mine at that stage. And last year we collected ninety-three thousand, so it was a massive okay. drop. And charities requested one hundred and sixty-seven thousand. We had emails that would were making me cry every night. By we've requested these bags, and you're saying we can't have them. Who? How are we? Go- this is from charities. How are we going to? choose what bags to give to what women. And I'm like, there isn't anything that we can do about that. We can, as a charity, can only give you what we get donated. Mm. It must be heartbreaking having to say no. Last year was horrible. Last year was a lot of of tears. I can only imagine. Because we had to say no. We couldn't actually, we didn't have enough product to send out to remote communities. Trucks couldn't get into remote communities. COVID affected so much more than us staying at home. Who do you turn to for support in those moments? Oh, I have a massive tribe. I have a massive tribe. I, I, you know, I look at, I'm surrounded by amazing people. So we have a seven-piece board of directors. I have eight volunteer state team leaders. I have 5,000 volunteers who are all there to pick you up. And during COVID, we had like what we call, we use Workplace by Facebook. It's um, an, an intranet. And we started our own pen club. So write to a, a volunteer in a different state and just have a chat so that everyone didn't feel quite so alone. So yeah, so I learned things about other people and it was just nice to, it's always a nice place to share. But I think sharing your vulnerability as a leader is really important. So not just showing them when everything's great. It's also nice to, it's not nice because it's it's shit. To be honest, but to tell them your fears, to for them to understand where you're sitting
1: Mm. in life. Yeah. I think it was a year that it almost gave everyone permission to be vulnerable and be able to kind of expose or share the struggles and the challenges. And it sounds like it was quite an imperative lesson for you that year. I I mean, Share the Dignity is an emotional charity in the Mm. first place, to hear
0: and meet some of the women that have received you know, a bag and hear them share their stories is really emotive. And I think that's from a brand perspective, we've been really good at being able to share those stories from that authenticity and Mm. people they'd love to know and be a fly. I wake up on Christmas morning and think I'd love to be a fly on the wall to see where my bag has gone. That'll Mm. never, ever happen. So for us to be able to share some of those stories to the people who also do that, which is normally, you know, in excess of a hundred thousand women who give up, they work really hard for their money. So to be able to Mm -hmm. go out and to buy those products to put into those bags is really important to them. It's important for us to then share the stories that we hear firsthand from the charities that we work with. Mm
2: -hmm. And how do you share those stories with the the broader community? How do you sort of how do you share, yeah, the real stories behind the kind of the big initiatives that you have?
0: Yeah, that's getting out in the community. That's hearing them from the volunteers. And I think last year was a like my role here is to make sure that I go out and visit the charities that I talk and I hear to them. But the shirows who are in Broome or anywhere in Australia who are out there and they're talking to the charities, they're hearing those stories. Some of them don't have the confidence to write those stories down. Or, But if you're sitting there and you're talking to a group of shirows, they'll just tell you the stories. So last year didn't allow that to mm. actually happen. So that
1: kind of impacted us and as well. Mm. Do you feel that there's been a shift this year? Is everyone excited to get back out on the road, to be able to sit in front of the people they're impacting and and hear their stories? I think so, because charity
0: drops last year looked like there were no contact, right? So you actually didn't even get to, as a volunteer, take your bags and hand them to somebody. Mm. They had to be all no contact. They were left, you know, charities were picking up from volunteers front yards or we were dropping them off and you know, leaving them in the yard and then texting and saying they're just there. Mm. So same with the, you know, donation of the Dignity Drives. Yeah. So, I, you know, we're excited that there will post-COVID what that will be and contact and communication is, I think, the best thing that will have ever come from that because we all just took it for granted before. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you were falling short of some of your targets last year and I imagine they're quite large. Can you tell us what your fundraising goals are in a year?
0: Yeah. So we have... Three collection drives a year. We need to collect around one hundred and fifty thousand to two hundred thousand packets of sanitary items in those drives. Now, if you think about it, that is really only enough to help fifty thousand women for four months. Mm. When you think about it, um, Mm. but there is one hundred and seventy three thousand women who turned to homelessness services last year. So that doesn't include our drought-stricken farming communities or our remote Indigenous communities or those living under the poverty line, community services are probably the highest growth that have requested demands from us that were not really there before COVID. So for example, they may have a community centre in Sandgate may have requested 50 packets of pads and tampons, but now they've got 100 different families to service. So, you know, they're requesting 200 because they've got a mother and, and some daughters. So that has a massive mm-hmm. impact on us. But at the end of the day, our job is to my job specifically is to keep making sure that there isn't a woman in Australia who doesn't know about us because Mm -hmm. there's no way that any one of us would not donate a packet of pads or tampons. So there's that specific drive for our it's in the bag. I'd love to see it go back to that Mm -hmm. 140,000 bags because that deficit was Mm gut-wrenching, to be Mm -hmm. honest. And I would assume that that, because of poverty and that will rise. I mean, COVID has impacted women, Far considerably more than it has men. So that will be something that we will wait and see. But our job now is just to go out there with full force. We thought we were probably bulletproof before COVID. We thought, you know, we were the, oh, we're the pretty pink charity and everybody loves us and they do. But I think you get into a place where everybody goes, oh, I think there's enough people donating Mm -hmm. to them, Mm. you know, like, and that is just, we can't sit on our hands. Our job is to make sure that people hear the stories of, you know, a young girl knowing that she needs to go into the laundromat and steal socks to be able to put in her underpants to deal with her period. That happens here in Australia. Mm. It's not okay. And we can do
1: something about it. God, it's just crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. And then the third component?
0: Oh, the third component is monetary, right? So <laughs> we normally hold a high tea on what is known as World Menstrual Hygiene Day. Of course, there's that day, right? So- <laughs> That for us is our biggest fundraising event of the year. It's not just about the money, but it's about the advocacy. So because normally you would come and then you would bring two of your friends, right? So then you're spreading the news of what the work that we do. At that high tea we normally have a woman who has benefited from a bag or been without the very basic of essentials and she talks and a charity that we work with. Normally an influencer or what we call a change maker will sit on the stage and talk about it as well. So there's normally 5000 women who attend that event. In Sydney we have um, 600 people attend in Melbourne. We normally have 800. They're always sold out. That event didn't happen last year and mm. it's not happening this year. Mm. So for us, that's a million dollars already down just from missing those two events, which is a huge amount. We've had to pivot oh. and allow people to hold those high teas themselves. Yes. We are very excited to announce that we are coming back next year and we've already started planning for our high tees for next year. But how do you even catch up on a million dollars? Yeah. What's the plan? What's well, the strategy? Well, we we luckily did a grey sky budget and a blue sky budget. Sure. We're pretty much sitting on the grey sky budget, which meant that our goal was to have 1,200 Dignity vending machines. And a vending machine is a machine that I created that dispenser's free period products and we have 350 of those installed around Australia now, which is amazing. They cost us $10,000 each. So we would have bought another 200 in this financial year, but we're not. Mm. So the people who miss out on that are the people that need Need mm-hmm. us most, so we are just sitting comfortably on the fact that those, and to be honest, those machines that are already installed have seen a thirty percent increase just this year. Oh, wow. Last year, there was a drop off because lots of the places that they were in were closed, so poverty stricken schools mm. ho- um hospitals, hostels, and stuff like that, a lot of them were closed. But just this year in January, February, so far, we've seen a 30% increase in the usage of those machines. Now, every single pack in those machines costs us $2. So my job was to make sure that we had sustainability as a charity and that for every machine that we put away, we need to have $5,000 per year saved in case GFC hit or something like, like who would have ever thought that COVID would hit Mm. and that we could possibly end up with, no money donated over the next couple of years. So Mm.
2: I guess that's one of the challenges Mm. of structuring an organisation as a not-for-profit. You know, you're reliant on the donations and corporate partnerships and, you know, fundraising and grants and all that kind of thing to fund your activity. And it must be very difficult when you know you have a solution to a problem, (laughs) but you don't have the funds to actually execute it. Did you ever consider structuring the organisation as a social enterprise?
0: Yeah, look, let me just start by saying that Share the Dignity is a business, okay. but we're just in the business of ensuring that women are afforded the dignity in life mm. that they deserve. So that is our business. Mm-mm. I have always treated it like a business yeah. and that we had to have good sustainability and we had to always have at least a year of money in the bank in case something happened, right? So for us, my biggest nightmare would be that a vending machine would be there. And it's a great idea, Rochelle. It's fabulous, but it's freaking no good to anyone if that machine does not have product Mm -hmm. in it, because I'd rather not have the machine there at all, right? Mm. So my dream of having 1,200 machines out there in Australia is still top of my list, but sustainability of my charity had to take over, over COVID, right? And mm. to make sure that if everything dropped off, which it hasn't, people have been really great at still continuing to donate, which has surprised me, but it's we're still, you know, 15% behind, excluding the million dollars that we lost as yeah. well. So when I looked at, at the very beginning, I looked at, do we come out with our own range of sanitary items, mm. right? Looked into it, it's a great idea, but in actual fact, we get so much donated by the other brands that the risk of doing, if I did that, was alienating them, yep. yeah. not having them come onto my playing field, which they do, and they do amazingly. All of them do. Do they? Yeah, all of them do. And they give Fabulous. so generously. And the profit that I would have made, plus all of the time and effort and energy that I would mm. have had to have done it, would not have matched what we get from you by Cotex, Libra, Vida, Toms, Cottons, all of them. Yeah. So, it kind of wouldn't have been worth it yep. from that perspective. Mm-hmm. We did come out with our own range of handbags, um, handbags with heart. So, every bag is actually called after one of the women that we've helped and that every bag has a story. The problem with the handbags is that normally we sell most of them at the high tees. Right. And then if they don't buy them at the high tees, then they buy them a couple of, you know, within they've seen them, they've physically touched them, they are beautiful bags. But we didn't have that last year. So we then had a surplus of stock that we didn't factor in and we didn't have one this year. So we've just done a fifty percent off sale just to move them. Mm. But normally that would have created a hundred and fifty thousand dollars of extra profit every year as well.
2: What are some of the other sort of business initiatives? Or ideas that you've had that you've decided not to pursue because they weren't quite right or they weren't, you didn't think that they would have the impact that you wanted?
0: Yeah, look, there's a couple of things that um, I was invited to um, speak on the world stage in Miami at Ideas Remaking the World. It was Mm. a fabulous opportunity. I spoke about the work that we were doing, and along the way, I am the fixer. So if there's a problem, I want to fix it, right? You can't fix everything. I believe that share the dignity is really one very small, minute part of the problem that exists for women. If I could ensure that everyone had somewhere, well, actually, I'd rather ensure that they all were safe in their own homes. But if they're not safe in their own homes, surely we need to be able to give them somewhere else to get, I can't fix that. Mm -hmm. I really, that is way beyond beyond my pay grade, to be honest. But there's been a couple of other initiatives that we have done. We funded the funerals of women who were killed by domestic violence. And when I was alerted to the fact that their bodies were sitting in morgues for up to three months because their families couldn't afford the very basic of dignities of paying for a funeral, I, I went to my board and I was I remember being in my car, just crying, crying, crying. And that was one of those things that you couldn't jog past either. How could that even happen? So we funded about 15 funerals over the course of about two years, but we didn't just fund them. We went to every attorney general in every state and said, this is bullshit. You cannot allow this Mm. to happen. Even from the perspective of they were prepared to give a family $6,000 for a funeral, you can't bury anybody for $6,000. So in most states they upped that, but they also brought in factors on making sure that that doesn't ever happen again. Um, So we changed our constitution and we've left it in our constitution. We don't have to do it anymore because the attorney generals in each state changed that. But we also came up with a great initiative. It was called Activities for All. It was to get kids into activities like sports, dancing Even horse riding, we had all of these amazing organisations prepared to donate activities for kids, and then we just used the resources of the charities that we worked with and connected them up, and the kids started to have something outside of just the trauma that they lived in, which we called activities for all. When I went to Miami, I realised that if we were going to solve the problem of ending period poverty, which is what I'm most passionate about, that I needed to stay in my lane and I needed to come back and cutting that I cried for about 2 weeks because i really believe that so much of the problems that we have with people in in the jails with mental health is all related to childhood trauma and we're not dealing with it and women go back into relationship after relationship because we've we're not dealing with the trauma that has happened in childhood but i can't fix that and that was a really hard one to let go of it was really just we need to just stay in the lane of doing what we do in order to actually take the charity to another level and that would be to take it to other countries. There are other charities in other countries who do kind of what we do, but not on the extreme mm-hmm. that we do it. And, and I think that once we get our IT right here in Australia, we can then start to look at how do we go into other countries. But it was very much from there, stay in your lane, do what you do well and stop
1: pivoting. Oh, it's It can be such a painful but important lesson. What's your relationship with saying no? What have you learned over the last, you know, your whole business life? What have you learned about saying no? I think that COVID
0: has been the biggest eye opener for, for me personally. It was a year where for the last five years, first five years of Share the Dignities Life, I was sprinting hundred metre sprints, but they were going for years. So I literally had blisters bigger than Ben-Hur. So to have that <laughs> have that year off and just to take that time to breathe and to actually work on my emotional fitness was probably one of the best gifts I could have ever given myself. And if I could have given that to my younger self, which I now have a 24 and a 23-year-old daughter, if I could give them anything, it's that. It's be kind to you, look after your, your emotional fitness. And to be honest, I always thought, oh, emotional fitness, that's a bit wanky, isn't it? But it really is about Learning to say no and now I can say no and I can look you in the eyes and I don't have to give you a five-minute babble as to why I'm saying no. I just say Mm. no. My time is the most precious thing Mm. that I have um, and everybody has, right, which is why I respect and appreciate our volunteers the most because when you're giving your time, you can't measure that. So that is the most important thing that anyone can give Mm. me and it's the most important thing that I have as well. I think that
2: concept of emotional fitness I haven't heard it expressed in that way but it really resonates with me and I'm sure with a lot of people because when you are running a business or a charity or or you know you have this passion you can be so emotionally connected to it and so emotionally affected by it you know your whole identity often is tied up into your business or whatever and I imagine it must be even more difficult for you because you're dealing with these really emotionally challenging situations and hearing the stories every single day how do you set boundaries and how do you how do you actually emotionally deal with that
0: i have to embrace it and i think every story that i'm told or somebody is brave enough to share with me it puts an imprint on my heart right and it mm. changes the way that you think and do things and appreciate your life i don't think i could i think the day that i stop crying at hearing a story is the day that i probably have to retire right so mm. in saying that though it can weigh a lot so not disconnecting from that, but finding the pieces of joy in your day that allows you starting my day now every day with a walk along the beach with my dog and I don't need to check my phone all the time, right? Mm. I just listen to the music. And if you can't wait half an hour or 45 minutes for me to talk to you, then it, it can't be that. Do you know what I mean? What's the most important things in my life? Before COVID, it was checking everything and everyone was okay and filling everybody else's cup, but forgetting to fill my own cup up mm-hmm. and finding those things, you know. So, yeah, I don't know whether that's because of COVID or it's because I was hitting, you know, getting to 5.0. So
1: whatever it is, I'm really grateful for it, but I wish I had a it when I was 20. Mm. Yeah, we were talking about this before the interview, just how critical it is to create space in our lives. And that's what it sounds like you're doing, which is great. Yeah. And I think that, you know,
0: I'll give you an example. Um, Last week I was in Darwin, then headed to Sydney, and it was absolutely back to back. I remember having to say no to somebody because I didn't want to do something on Sunday morning. And I would have filled that every single waking minute with something to Help somebody else or to fit more things in, I just said no, I just need to recharge. I'm a much better version of me when my battery is fully recharged than running it all the way down and then trying to deal with things. Totally mm-hmm. can resonate yeah. with them,
1: yeah. <laughs> we're like, mm-hmm. we're like, oh, we're we here. <laughs> yep, <laughs> well, that's good that you're learning that at a younger age, right? Yeah. Is all I can say.
0: And Look, is it's that easy, COVID?
1: It, but it's hard to put into practice, it is, yeah, yeah, but.
0: It's no it different to eating good food. True. Like it's no no different to making sure that you put boundaries up to other yeah. people. Your boundaries to yourself should be your highest priorities.
1: And look, you do fall off. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. You, like you fall wagon. off, you get back mm. up yeah. and you keep going and you try and improve every, every day's day. Every day is a new yeah, Monday. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Diet day, right? Oh, I'll yeah. start
0: that on Monday. But you get to have a new day every day, <laughs> yeah. right?
1: You said you have over 5,000 volunteers, which is a huge amount of people to manage, I imagine. Mm. What are some of the challenges that you face? Um, I think time, making Mm. sure that everybody feels validated when
0: there's so many people, making sure that, I mean, we've got a really great structure. We have eight volunteer team leaders who manage the state. We break it down into then we have queens. So a queen will volunteer her time to be a charity queen or a volunteer queen or a um, collection point queen or someone who looks after the schools. So it's all broken down into really bite-sized bits. What we didn't want and some of the big learnings from the very beginning is that if you put your hand up for a job, I gave you that job and I didn't even care how long it took you. It could have taken you 20 hours and they were everyone was so passionate, but I was running so fast that I never even... And turned around to see who was behind me. So we did crash and burn a lot of volunteers along the way mm. and probably past staff. And for that, I am will be always um, really grateful for them. They've always had a big role and sorry <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> because it really was, it wouldn't have happened without them. Yeah. And when I talk about volunteers, there are amazing volunteers that pick up collection points, but there is also a big IT piece to share the dignity, which mm. is mammoth, right? So we have what we we use smart sheets, which is like Excel on steroids. So we have a team of women who help us look after that component of it. We, you know, we used to have a team of women who would help me answer the PMs on the, the Facebook page. And I remember one of them, Angela, had no arms and no legs and used to answer them on her Apple pad with her pen. But you know what? She was 24 and she said she's never felt more valued in her life because she'd never had somebody who just go, yep, do a job, off you go. D- didn't mm. even matter to me how she did it as long as she could do it for us, mm. really. Um, so everybody has individual roles to play. We have It's in the Bag Queens, where literally for 11 months of the year, we're coordinating how that will happen. What were the learnings from last year? How could we do it better? You know, breaking it down into small mm. bite size, but communicating to them in multiple ways. So I do a lot of video content. We always try to internally give the communications to them about what's happening before we would ever go external. I would hate to volunteer for somewhere and find out you were doing something but no one had bothered to tell you, even though you give your time. And we've made many of those mistakes over the years, but that's Mm. something that, you know, is probably the most challenging. But making sure that they hear the stories that Mm. they see and that they feel valued and important. Mm.
2: You're such a huge organization. You've got over 5,000 people who are engaged in your community and working in the organization and if if you were a traditional business, you'd be a bloody big business. If if you're a business, there would be a head of marketing, there'd be a head of e-commerce, there'd be a head of IT, there would be, you know, a head of HR. Like yeah. you're huge. So what is the actual, yeah, the head office function look like and how do you
0: manage that as a charity? Are people paid? Yeah. So we have what we call Shiro Support. We are actually in a house, which is about 10 houses down from us. Which because we moved out of my garage, we outgrew my garage. We have 14 staff. Um, we have half of them who work part-time. And so seven of them work part-time and seven of them are full-time staff. So we do actually have an accounting team because it is massive. Mm. Everybody wants a receipt and there is so much (laughs) that goes into that. Then we have an initiatives team. So there is somebody who helps looks after the drives, the logistics, the dignity vending machines. So there are a lot of contractual pieces that happen to that. We have a marketing team now, Katie and myself. It just used to be me. So, and that literally all of these people have only been brought on in the last two years. So really it was mostly volunteer based until the last two years where I would have loved to have continued on with just volunteers, but that just doesn't, you know, we've got a HR team of two, one, uh, well, they're both part-time. So there were actually one full-time staff member that helps me manage all of those okay. people, mm-hmm. which is a mammoth communication task on its own. So our marketing and comms manager also helps do that marketing and comes to them as well. So mm. that's big. And then we have our corporate relations manager who helps me work with all of the businesses that we work with. So it is what we call a big team now. Fourteen paid staff to manage. You know, we've collected fifty-one million dollars worth of donations <laughs> since we've started that charity. And we have a board director on our board who comes from another really big non-for-profit and he he will say, you guys absolutely rock. You work with half the amount of stuff that you would find anywhere else. But they're so passionate. You know, I will say to our staff, we could work 24 hours in a day and there would still be 22 hours worth of work to totally. do every single day. <laughs> yeah. So I just say to them, if there's something that you can get a volunteer to do, ask them to do it. They will want to help you, right? Mm. So we're never, ever alone. Mm. in that perspective. Mm. Yeah. What have been
2: some of the biggest wins that you've had over the course of the last six years?
0: Um, I'd have to say the removal of the tampon tax was probably one of the biggest wins from an advocacy perspective. Perspective, and the fact that it wasn't bloody right in the mm. first place, right? So, it just was common sense. But that was a really big part of 2018. I spoke to more politicians than I ever care to mention. But I think that that really set us up into another space. It was just after that removal of the tampon tax that Woolworths called me and said, "We'd like to work with you." Wow you You do some amazing work. So it opened up you know, one of the second biggest things that has ever happened to the charity was to have Woolworths come on board and donate five cents from the sale of every packet of pads and tampons that they sell in the months of March and August, which is incredible. It's a great um, injection of cash, but it makes it super easy for people to donate. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all about. If we had to strip everything back, we have to go back to, we're there to ensure that women don't go without the very basic of essentials. Mm. So getting Bunnings on board was probably one of my, woohoo loved it. I love every, I love Bunnings, like a lot. How
1: can do you, they play in the space? I was going to say, can you tell the story? <laughs> yeah, so
0: this is a great story. So the very first year that we did It's in the Bag, I was cleaning out my bathroom cupboard. So that's how It's in the Bag started. That first year, I think we had about 200 volunteers and we probably had about 20,000 people on our social media page. And I just posted about it one morning at five o'clock before I went in and trained my clients. By the time I'd finished training clients at 12 o'clock, team leaders who were most of our volunteer team leaders were still around back then. They're very traumatised by this. Drop them on people's verandas, I said. So don't worry about it. We collected 24,000 bags. It was crazy. We ah. never thought that that would happen. But the year after was mental. It was a great idea. The stories that we got from that first year were absolutely Amazing. Then the next year we had, obviously, Terry White Chemist still on board. We had beauty salons and we had hairdressing salons and we we're like, register yourselves as collection points. Wow, well, we collected 135,000 bags. We never, ever expected to go from 20. So I remember being at Brazilian Beauty the day before picking up bags and clearing. They couldn't even move. The next day they ring at 10 o'clock. I was with clients. We didn't have any paid staff. Can you come back? We can't even do treatments in our in our rooms. So this was happening in hair salons. It was happening everywhere. Terry White chemists were like amazing, but they had trolleys and trolleys and trolley loads full. It's not like you're donating a packet of pads, which is small and little. It's quite space yeah. consuming. So after that drive, I just looked at how could we do this better? And I just did a Facebook post and said, Bunnings, could you help us? And Bunnings called me the very next day. But, you know, there's some serious champions that were volunteers. They were shiro. She was a shiro and she worked at head office. And since then, we have worked with Bunnings. They gave us their space. They decorated. Their staff are amazing. Um, amazing. And it really is, was a solution to a problem that got called out on Facebook.
2: Wow. It's the power of, it's the power of community and it's the power of A platform and also this sense of a shared purpose, Mm.
0: yeah,
2: which I think is so critical. Yeah.
0: And that was without even doing any other follow-up, which was, you know, I was going to start sending you a letter every day. Mm. So didn't even need to do it. So yeah, I think that if you went back to that post, there was probably about 400 people who all tagged Bunnings below. Mm. So it was really... It was amazing. So, yeah. but to work with Bunnings is pretty phenomenal, and their staff love share the dignity and the it's in the bag because it just brings you such joy. Yeah, to just even put together your bag, but the staff at Bunnings are so proud of it, and then the places that we take them to the charities, they're so grateful that they get to give those bags to the women where mm. they wouldn't have been able to give them
1: anything anyway. Mm. Your passion is so like obvious and clear; it radiates from you, and obviously, you get emotional when you talk about this. But I also yeah. feel like you're an extremely influential person. And I think, you know, you've kind of expressed that you've managed to create change around Australia. Obviously, people buy into your vision. What do you put that down to? What's your secret source or your secret superpower?
0: My mayo of choice would have to be the fact that there isn't a woman in Australia who doesn't feel empathetic to another woman having to go without. And I just think that I'm raw and I'm real and I don't think that there is a lot of errors and graces to me. I just, the standard that you walk past is the standard that you accept. So if we think it's okay that women are using socks in their undies, or if we think it's okay that we pay GST on sanitary items, if we think it's okay that a woman is murdered by a man in her own home every single week, it's not okay. And it's up to us to use our voice and to stamp our feet and roar as loud as we can to make that difference. And if that trickles on to other people, then that's what we need to be doing. We need to not shy away
1: from not feeling like we're not heard. Maybe influential isn't the right word because that can have negative connotations, yeah. especially in like a social media sense. But yeah. having influence is a wonderful thing. And yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. you have that, but it, comes, it just comes through in a authentic way.
0: Yeah. We, I mean, we call our influencers, because mm. I don't like the word, yeah. change yep. makers. Yeah. You're, You're a change maker. maker mm. Right. But I think everybody has the power to be a change yes. maker. Right. You mm. just have to believe it. It comes from believing in yourself. Like, really? What's the worst thing? Because someone can say to you, no, and get effed. Well, I've heard it all before. Do you know what I mean so it doesn't I don't have anything to lose mm. in this mm. perspective have you always had that perspective at that point of view like oh no no i come from a a really bad history of trauma and family violence. And I know, Mm. and if many women that you speak to, you know, like I never understood why I got a lot of throat infections. It's actually because I was actually silenced. I felt like I was silenced all the time and I couldn't speak my truth. And that the fact that I had to pretend that I lived in a house that wasn't like that, or I had to live in a home that wasn't like that, you know,
1: I just felt like I couldn't, didn't have a voice. I have a voice now and you're not going to shut me up. We would love to know what's the best piece of business advice that you've been given or the best piece of advice that you have given someone else?
0: Oh, that's a really hard one. I just believe in whatever you're doing, but give you the time to rest. Rest your brain. I wore busy like a badge of bloody honour and it was not the right thing for me to do, but it was all I ever knew. But that came from trauma. That came from how do I fill the void in my life that can silence that voice. I'll just be as busy as I can, then I don't have to deal with that emotional intelligence that I need to be able to forge the best life. So, really take care of you, and the the best version of you will come. But yeah, slow down. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic advice <laughs> for sure. Where are you at now? Look, I'm r- super excited that we have been working with Facebook. Yep, shut the front door. <gasps> I know the world's biggest communicator to bring together a campaign called Period Pride. So while we've worked really hard for the last six years to get product donated to get into the hands of women and girls in need, that's been great. We've done a great job. Three million packets of pads and tampons have been donated and delivered to women in need. But there is still such a shame and stigma around menstruation that unless we remove that taboo and change the narrative for the girls and their girls, my daughters and my daughter's daughters, then we're still going to have women who have fled domestic violence who won't even ask for a packet of pads and tampons because there is such shame and stigma. And then we need to educate. So we've done a massive campaign with Facebook around period pride. We've interviewed four really diverse couples around menstruation and what that looks like in order to encourage people to have conversations around it. You know, we, we talk to Katie and her dad and she talks about having got her period in her blue formal dress. Like we've mm, all got one of those stories, we but mm. not in our formal dress, right? So it's about sharing. It's about talking about it. So inside of that campaign is a survey, a bloody big survey that we are asking everyday Australians, women and girls to answer. We launched it on International Women's Day. And on that very first day, we had surpassed 10,000 people who had given us that information. It now is the biggest data source around the world of menstruating women We'll target is a hundred thousand. That hundred thousand data that we'll be able to get. We've got Y Hive um data scientists helping us cleanse that data and to produce that so that we can make federal changes. Do you know that you cannot get sanitary items in hospitals anymore? So if you're turning up in hospital, and you have been victim of domestic violence or you've got mental health issues or any other reason, they don't have pads and tampons available to you at the hospital. So we need to be looking at mm. how do we make those changes, how do we federally look at the girls in schools. So while there's been lots of change we've come so far where govern, you know, each state is starting to look at putting sanitary items in schools, we're talking about $3 per student per year. That is not really going to cut the mustard. We really need it to start and my cup is half full, but we need it to be overflowing. We need to make sure that no girl misses out on education because her family can't afford to have sanitary items. So that data will help us make federal changes. Is that the next phase
2: for Share the Dignity, kind of affecting these really
0: systemic changes at a a, a federal level? Absolutely. And, And it's no different to removal of the tampon tax. They won't listen Mm. to you unless you rule out enough. So our our job is to get the data, but they also, you know, menstruation is the most under-resourced part in the world. So we need to look at why, how do we remove that shame and stigma? How do we try to change that? So we are rolling out period pride one and period pride two next year will be something different. So watch this space as we work with Facebook and Instagram, which has been the most amazing partnership to work with, which literally came about from speaking at, I will never, well, I never used to say no, but I would never say no to speaking at an event because you never know who's going to be there Who's in the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I spoke at a women in tech event and I thought I would be going along and there'd be, you know, a bunch of girls who were super much smarter than me and I I suffer severely from imposter syndrome because I'm just this chick from Sangate who just thought you know what that's not okay to go without the sanitary items and these women are amazing and they're super smart but in that room were people from Google from Amazon from Facebook from Twitter from LinkedIn from amazing we now work with Amazon Google Facebook it was incredible <laughs>
2: We always say at Lady Brains that every opportunity comes through a person. Opportunities don't exist in a vacuum. And so, you know, you just never know who you might meet. You never know what opportunity might come your way if you're just out there and speaking to people and sharing your story. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. We want to thank you for the work that you do. Mm. Thank you. And thank you for being on the Lady Brains podcast. I have loved it. <laughs> Yay, so we oh my god, I'm like, that was awesome.
2: <gasps> we loved Rochelle's energy and passion and we hope you did too. Here's what we took away from that chat. Building a business is a marathon. It ain't a sprint, and it is really important to zoom out from the day to day and gain some perspective because as Rochelle explained, it's really not healthy to operate at such a fast pace over a long period of time. And secondly, to run that marathon, you need stamina, physical, mental, intellectual, and emotional. And you've got to measure it like anything else. Make time to replenish your emotional tank and ask yourself, when was the last time you took stock of how you're coping? And lastly, stay in your own lane. You cannot be everything to everyone and why would you want to be? It might be tempting to say yes to things that fall outside your usual remit, but you've got to be really, really clear about whether these are opportunities aligned with your vision or actually distractions that will take you away from it. That's it for this episode. Subscribe or follow our podcast and we will ping you when another cracking episode drops. So hit that button on your app. And if you want to support Share the Dignity, please head to their website. It's sharethedignity.org.au.